Hello everyone and welcome to the Volraf Feed, the show that discusses everything that makes up the world of commercial food service. I'm your host, Rich Rupp, product trainer and chef at the Volrath Company, and with me today, as always, is my co-host and producer, Justin Pearson. Justin, how are you? I'm doing really good today. It's, <laughs> it's been a great, great morning so far, and you know, I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, to what rest of fall has to offer for us. Oh, so. All right, you seem extra chipper today. I mean, normally you're like, yeah, I'm doing good. Today it sounded even more enthusiastic. So, <laughs> what a good day so far, huh? All right. Yeah, it, it, coffee is just doing its job today. We'll so take it. We'll take it. No, I will take it. All right. Well, hey, today on the show we have a first. We are going to be discussing an area of commercial food service that many people find as interesting as the food itself, and it's the first time we've had it at the show. It's an area that has many rules, standards, uh, traditions, and maybe even a few more quirks than the kitchen does. It certainly has many colorful personalities and interesting people working in it as the kitchen does, and um, to be successful, I guess it, it takes training, it involves some science, it's some skill, and a lot of instinct, and not all food outlets have one, but many do, and use it in conjunction with the food to provide a fun night out or experience at, at the establishment. So I bet you've already got it uh, figured out what we've got going on today, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I I think I got a pretty good idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're talking about the bar, the bar, yeah, the bar, the front of the house. So yeah, it'll be interesting to hear. We today as our guest we have Sean Kenyon, who is the owner of Williams and Graham in Denver. Your neck of the woods at one point, right? Yeah, I spent a lot of time in Denver, uh, coming down from Wyoming because well, there just wasn't a lot to do in Wyoming. So <laughs> you guys will be able to compare some notes there, right? Absolutely. I'd like to uh get some of his insight on what's been going on there over the past uh two years or so since mm-hmm. I've been able to be out there. Yeah, so Williams and Graham, it's definitely a bar. Uh, He's got over 500 bottles of various spirits along with um, maybe a somewhat limited food menu. But it looks, as you look at the menu, I mean, I would have no problem finding several things that I could call lunch or dinner on that menu. So it's it's a food menu for sure, legit. And, um, you know, over the the last several years, uh, Sean has been... He's been busy. He's been active. He was named um, American Bartender of the Year in 2014 at the Tales of the Cocktail Bartending Festival in New Orleans. Did you even know there was such a thing? I have heard of of that particular yeah. one. It's, it's an interesting event. I, I haven't been there, but uh, I've seen pictures of it, and it looks like an entertaining time, oh, to say the I least. I guarantee. <laughs> With a bunch of bartenders in town, oh, <laughs> that'll be a fun place to be. <laughs> Quite an affair. Yeah. Uh, another thing he's done recently is it, it said he was paid to by a marketing or a spirits company to uh, crisscross Russia, guest bartending in 16 different cities. So do you think wow. he's he knows a little bit about vodka? Yeah, I would think if you didn't, you would probably pick up a lot of stuff along the way there. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, if you're in if you're in Russia, I'm sure you you get the uh, you get the full lowdown on vodka. Anyway, so you know the job of bartending is is a lot about being out in front and being that uh, that point uh, that front man for the business and you've got to have some skills and there's a there's you know a bunch of ways you can get into it some people just you know you come in and you're you're trained depending i suppose on the level of the establishment right but um 
I know my dad, he called me up one day. I turned 18, and at that point, you could work in the bar and in Wisconsin. So he said, you're going to start bartending. I said, oh, okay. So I came in. I think it was a Friday lunch. The hardest thing I had to make was a Manhattan. And he said, okay, come on back now for a Friday night. And in Wisconsin, Friday night is the busiest night in the bar, mm. in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure enough, we, we had a busy, busy night, and I'm learning as I'm going. And, you know, sometimes you could say that's better. You learn under fire, and, you know, it, it sticks with you. But uh, there's sometimes otherwise you can get, get a little bit more of the finesse and flair down when you have a little more time. So, But it's definitely a, an interesting career, especially if you're a little younger maybe. If you're looking for a little more nightlife, it can be fun. Yeah, you, you, there's a lot of hats that you wear when when you're behind the bar, and it's it takes a deep skill set in both professional skills and then also people skills. Right, right. I mean, you definitely have to have skill. It's just like a chef, right? You need to have you need to have some skills, and if you're going to be a, the the uh, lead in the kitchen, the the executive chef or a sous chef, you have to have a little bit of understanding of how to deal with people and. There's all that. In the bar, you have a little bit more of a chance for some showmanship and maybe a little bit more interaction, obviously, with guests and things and have a little bit more personality out in front of the house. But definitely a a, a skill level. And uh, the good ones put effort into training and understanding the craft. And as I said earlier, some of the science as to how things mix and why they – just like cooking, right? We know Mm -hmm. the, the methods of making a a certain dish or how to build a, a sauce or a flavor, you do the same thing at the bar. So it, it compares pretty yeah, pretty yeah. across the board, I think. Yeah. Well, and everybody, you know, anyone can go anywhere to get a beverage. And yes, certain places have specialties and they do things their own way, but people keep coming back because of the service that they get mm-hmm. and the relationships they build with the owners or, or bartenders there. Uh, particularly in Wisconsin, you have your place that that you enjoy, and it's it's because of those relationships that you build up. Mm-hmm. It's a massive component of that e- equation, right? I'll be interested also to hear how they approach the food side of the business, right? So they, as I mentioned, they have they have food, and they're definitely a bar with five hundred bottles. There's no doubt you are a bar, but you know they they offer the food. And as I said, if you look at that menu, it's 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 not just snack food it's it's there's substantial foods on there mm-hmm. so how do you balance that without you know they've got to work together right you can't just have a a bar that has one style to it and then a, a food menu that's completely different you can't have primarily tap beer and um uh, box wine and then offer oysters rockefeller and escargot <laughs> it just doesn't fit right so the the food in the wine or the food in the bar rather have to all work together yeah, it, def- it definitely does. So I wonder if he works with the chef, if they have, if they sit down together to to plan that out. So is there is there a pairing? Do, do they offer, you know, with our, wow, whatever it is, right on the menu? Is this the the cocktail, or is this the wine, or is this the the spirit? I mean, do you, do you pair with a? I, I guess people pair with whiskeys or bourbons and oh yeah, the food oh, yeah. item, right? So do you do you come up with that? And even though you're primarily a bar fun for guests to be able to pair things together and if someone can be knowledgeable and explain why the pairing works Mm -hmm. that's even a bonus right yeah even if you don't specifically list the pairings just to be knowledgeable like hey when you somebody asks for your recommendation you're like oh this would go really good with this Mm -hmm. this dish but uh, it it also brings up the the thought of how does a, a bar 
or uh, an establishment that's primarily known as a bar decide to break into food, you know, because it's nice to be able to keep your customers there. Exactly. So, you know, they get hungry and they're like, well, let's go grab something to eat. Maybe we'll be back. Maybe we won't. Chances are they won't because there's lots of other options out there. So you, you keep them there with, with offerings of food. And yeah, you have to have it, I think. It's just a good pairing. Yeah, well, and it's got to be a bit of a challenge because you got to bring in the right people for that side of it, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a lot to manage, you know, for a bartender to, to expect to run a kitchen as well. So there's a lot of things that go into that. Mm-hmm. And I would like to hear how, how Sean does it. If they always had food or if they said, hey, let's expand our offering and what that process looked like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was going to say earlier, um, when we talk about pairing whiskeys and other spirits with food, so like, what's the rule, right? Like white wine with fish, red wine with meats. What is it? Uh, white or brown, clear or brown with fish, <laughs> with 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 uh, spirits? I don't know. Is there any rules there? Oh, yeah. There, yeah, there's definitely rules. Just like with beer, there's rules there as far as your darker beers and your lighter beers. And there's things that, that complement just the same as wine. And, mm-hmm. and it takes a, takes a trained palate to, to know what, where to go with things. You enjoy the craft beer scene, right? That's a thing you enjoy. I've been known to partake. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what do you, what do you like in pairings with some of the beers? What, what goes well in food? Ooh, well, for me, uh, that's that's a really good question. Uh, there's so many different types of beer out there. And really, this is more of a guidelines and hard and fast rules. But mm-hmm. say with like fish, uh, generally speaking, you want to go with like a lighter beer. Uh, me personally, I like something that has a bit more of uh, the citrusy notes. Uh, but uh, lagers and uh, pilsners, they go very well with fish as well. Something like a Hefeweizen. Uh, is generally paired with uh, like your your bratwurst and you know stuff that comes with those oh. heavier flavors, you know, must mustard and and horseradish and cured meats, that kind of stuff. But like, say, take like a, a pale ale, uh, the the hoppy bitterness in that uh, contrasts with uh, say like spicy heat charred and aromatic flavors like in cheeses and stuff like that. But you know, like a, a like a standard IPA that goes great with a lot of things, you know, even even desserts and stuff like that. <laughs> but I also really like stouts and porters, and they can go with a lot of like like smoked meats, stronger flavors there, uh, caramelized, savory dishes, and then you, then you get into like barley wines, uh, lambics. Lambics are really good. They're kind of like a like a after meal dessert drink. Mm-hmm. So. They can they can pair with a, a lot of uh, different uh, desserts like chocolate cake and cheesecake those types of things, but really it, it's up to you. And and I've had lots of different beers with lots of different food just because that's what I was drinking drinking at the moment. That's what I was eating at the moment. And a, a good guideline is to go with you know lighter beers for lighter meals and darker beers for heavier meals. You, you really just don't want your pairing your beer to overpower what you're eating. Yeah. That's, those are some great tips. You know, another area that I, I'm going to be anxious to talk to Sean about is that the hours that you work, the time that you have off, it doesn't match up with what the, the rest of the world does on their spare time. So you, you, you make choices in this industry for sure. And, and it's not for everyone. And that's, I think, what 
A lot of people get into it. As I mentioned earlier, when you're young, it might be a fun industry to be in. You meet a lot of people, especially mm-hmm. if you're working in hospitality because all your friends can come in and see you and you're there working and socializing a little bit, but you're getting paid and uh, you can just yeah. catch up with them after. So it's always been something you can do there. Mm-hmm. Have you ever attended bar, Justin? I have done a bit in the past. Okay. Um, I I used to work at the American Club. I did audio and visual and then I picked up a little bit of uh, side gigs, uh, yeah. bartending at the American Club in Kohler, Wisconsin. So that nice was place. It was a very nice five star joint, and it's very much like you talked about a while ago about the light bulbs. If a light bulb goes out, mm-hmm. you're on it like flies on, you know yeah. what? And because <laughs> it's to keep those ratings, you've got to be on top of everything. And right. and then when it came to bartending, it. it it was really just basic mixing and pouring and man, you made a lot of money just, <laughs> just doing some basic stuff. Cause I, I, I didn't, I didn't know how to really mix a lot of stuff, but you know, I could, I could pour a glass and I, yeah. I could, I can mix uh, old fashioned. <laughs> well, if you're in Wisconsin, lesson number one, the brandy old fashioned whiskey is oh, yeah. coming around strong, but brandy in Wisconsin was, that was it. The brandy old fashioned with sweet soda garnished with a cherry and an orange. Yeah. Classic. In the 80s, if I was bartending and I saw six people walk through the door, I probably could have made four brandy old-fashioned sweets with fruit, garnish, and been safe every time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like they'll just drink it while they're thinking about what they want to drink. Yeah. <laughs> so, Justin, when you're out and uh, you're out for a nice night and you're at a, at a bar getting ready to have some dinner, what's what's your go-to? What do you start with? Mm. Well, how do you – what's your lead-in oh. drink? It's a great question, and I think you can tell a lot about a person by looking at their evolution of what their go-to drink is over the years. Oh, definitely. Uh, when I when I first started out at twenty-one, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say that my go-to was uh, Captain Coke. It was just oh. simple, and you know, I wasn't into beer back then. I didn't really like the taste, and uh, I it just, it wasn't for me. So it was just Captain and Coke, Captain and Coke, you know, and you, you mix it up every now and then with like a seven and seven or, uh, Jack and Coke, but that was it. And, and then, then I got into, uh, micro beer and I've been in that ever since because it's just a very diverse area. But when I was probably about 25 ish, I got into old fashions too. So, that's always been a staple, but that that's like, you know, you go out on supper club night or holidays is always big time. So it's almost like a special event drink for me. I don't overdo it with that one too much. Yeah, yeah anymore. It's just a really nice beer to complement whatever the evening holds. Hmm. Well, it, it does progress over time though, right? I think what I, I was... did have a martini phase though, I will say. <laughs> and so it, that was a fun phase. And I was always the guy that asked for way too many olives in his drink. Oh, um, you're one I, of those. I kind of turned it, I turned it into like a meal too. <laughs> yeah, right. How about you though? I mean, what what's your progression looked like? Oh, let's see. Well, when I was 18, believe it or not. Oh, that's right. It was a thing back yes, then. Yes, it was. Wisconsin, I think, one of the last states to hold on to that. What, what, what year was that? Like 1984? Five, yeah, four? Fall of 84, it went from 18 to 19. Okay. And I made it by four days. So I was grandfathered in. <laughs> One of the happiest days of my no, I shouldn't say it that way. I was I was no, it was it was very lucky of me because I was going to college and you know, it was just unfair for a lot of friends that were six days old, younger than me and uh, yeah. you know, anyway. I'm sure that really prevented them too and they just 
Oh, believe it or not, they were, <laughs> they were yeah, the bars were pretty they stuck to it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I started out, I think I like, I think beer was just the easiest thing. I didn't have a right. taste for anything harder than that. And then old fashions just, again, because you're in Wisconsin, it's just one of those things. And I think now I have a pretty set pattern. I th- Usually if we're out, I'll, I'll have an old-fashioned, maybe two at the most. And then I switch to a spirit and water, be it mm. bourbon, scotch, uh, something like that. And I, I don't like the carbonated beverages. I certainly don't like anything that's a sweetened, anything like that. It's, right. it's typically right. just water, maybe a little um, sparkling water with it. But that seems to be a good mix for me. I like the taste. I can I can appreciate the taste and the and the spirit that I'm drinking, and then the water also definitely helps with the pace of drinking and making mm-hmm. sure that you know that doesn't get out of hand. And the next day it, it helps yeah. as well. So, well, now that we know our go tos and where yeah. our progressions have gone, we might be in for a little bit of a shakeup here because Sean is going to be providing us with a Thanksgiving specialty drink recipe later All in the right. show. So. I think uh, with that, though, we, I think we should get Sean on the show and find out a little bit more about his bar. As I said, once again, it's Williams and Graham in Denver, Colorado. And let's find out a little bit more of that from him. So, everyone, please welcome Sean Kenyon to the show. Sean, welcome to the Volrath feed. Hey, great to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So we really appreciate it. And, um, you know, Justin and I, we did a lot of discussion in the first half here. I think everybody, you know, has some some ideas of bars and and everything, but um, you, you're third generation. You, you've been doing this a long time. Is this something you've been doing uh, all your life, or did you kind of fall into it uh, with your grandfather and father, right? They were also yeah, bartenders. So, so yeah, my uh, growing up, my my grandfather, my mother, and my father were all bartenders. Um, you know, and it's and it's for me, it's all I've ever really wanted to do. Um, you know, my my father didn't want me to didn't want me to be a bartender. Encouraged me to go to to go to college and do something different. Um, you know, I had a math aptitude and, and I, I went to, I, I went to college briefly. I didn't, I mean, it wasn't, it, it wasn't what I loved. It wasn't the people I loved to be around. The, the thing that drew me to bartending as a, as a child was that, um, you know, I was a, I was kind of, I was, I was an overweight kid who didn't really, who didn't really fit in at school. The, the place where I found acceptance was in the bar, right. Was, was with that family of people there, the hospitality that they showed me, you know, my mother always referred to my, my father's bar patrons as my drunken uncles, um, <laughs> you know, and that's where I found love and, and acceptance. And I, I, I kind of, I, I, I don't, I didn't know this so later, but I kind of set my early life intention there, you know, to, to be, to own a place or to eventually have a place where I could show that same love and acceptance to the people who walk through our doors. Um, you know, that's a, a, a really shortened version of what inspired me, what inspired me to open bars, but you know, I started bartending, um, you know, we started working at my father's bars when I was like eight, probably eight or nine, breaking down boxes. And, you know, for just for we never had an allowance, you know, you had to go in and, and get some work done to get to get your money. It also taught, <laughs> taught me the value of a dollar back then. And, yeah, um, yeah. you know, and and so I've worked there really, you know, for the last 43 or, you know, for 43 years I've worked in I've worked in bars now. I'm 51. Um, you know, so it, it's it's it it graduated into bartending around 16 years old and I've, I've never stopped. So, you know, behind the bar for 51 years and the other, the other goal of, or the, I'm sorry, for 35 years, um, I've been behind the bar. The other goal for me was to create a bar that was great to work at for bartenders and, and people in the people on the other side. I mean, I wanted to be able to take care of 
uh, our staff, both front and back of house, like family. And, and I think we've accomplished that at, at our bars. Oh, very cool. So when did you get into Williams and Graham? Uh, we opened Williams and Graham in November, November, 2011, um, November 15, 2011. We're about to celebrate our, our ninth anniversary, um, you know, here, here amongst COVID and, and, you know, the, through the pandemic and, and limited, limited capacity, but, you know, we're going to celebrate nonetheless. I, I think, you know, we've, we've shown our resolve this year and, and, you know, fought through some hard times and come together to, you know, make it happen in, in not the easiest of circumstances. So, you know, we're, we feel like we do have something to celebrate, even though it's been a difficult year. I think you can, it's, it's easy for people to get down and constantly like 2020s, you know, 2020s breaking our backs, 2020 this, 2020 that. It's like, you know, we, you can't, you can't chalk it up to a calendar year. You know I mean? It's, this stuff is happening. It, it's difficult for all of us. Um, you know, it's sad to see some of our, some of our friends close down and, 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 you know, tough times around us, but, you know, we can only fight for what's within our four walls and within our community, you know, fight for our community in general, you know, for legislation, things to help us out, but we're going to celebrate and here in a, here in a couple of weeks. Yeah. So when you opened and congratulations, nine years, I think that's, that's a lot of people don't make it nine years. That's, you know, they're. Yeah, we, we beat the odds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So did you always, um, we were talking earlier about the, the pairing of the food and the, and the drinks and everything. Did you always have food at the bar or was that something you brought in later? Or when did the. Yeah, we've, we opened, uh, we opened with a, with a chef. Um, you know, we opened with the idea of having great food to pair with our cocktails because I've, I've always, I've never want to open a, have a bar without food because I think, you know, drinks, drink, drinks keep, keep people there for a certain amount of time, but you know, the combination of drinks and food, I mean, that, that's where really, you know, you get your, your guest retention and you're talking about the time spent. I mean, if you're only, if you only do cocktails, people will stop by, have a couple cocktails either before they go to dinner or after they come home or whatever. And that's still great to do in our bar, but you can also come have a three course meal right to right before last call. I mean, we, our kitchen's open all the way to the end. So one of the things I found in Denver when I first got here is late night dining was severely limited. Um, so I wanted to be able to provide, you know, that our kitchens are open late. And the one, the, the one reason, another great reason for that is service industry people, when they get off of work, they come to our bar mm-hmm. and they can, they can have a full meal. We do, we do specials just for them. Um, we like to take care of our own, not only within our house, but, uh, you know, within our community as well. So we, we have, we did, we have a, an industry meal special. We, when we first opened, we actually did family meal, like whatever we served our staff, we offered for free to, um, to other bars around us if they wanted to stop in for a drink afterwards we get them a plate of food you know right. so it's always been an important component of what we do our industry is tight that way hospitality yeah. hangs together right that's the truth how how was it balancing the the drinks with the food how, how what does the pairing process look like and I'm, I'm sure you collaborate a lot with your chef and be like um what 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 does that process look like for you? So we we have we have we have labs uh, seasonal labs that we do um, four of them a year uh, four to six depending on you know because you can't it's it's not as simple when you're talking about produce and and you know available ingredients if you pigeonhole it into into four quadrants of the year you know like you could start the fall with amazing with amazing vegetables but by the end of the fall nothing's fresh and available anymore so you know the and winters you can you know, jams and preserves and things that are available without, without too much shipping. Um, you know, we meet, so, so say for, for our, 
our our January February menu. We'd start meeting, you know, right after right after Thanksgiving. Talk about you know the focus of the menu, some of the flavors that we want to present, um, you know, and both on the on the culinary side and the bar side, right? So uh, we have a we have a, a bar manager um, and we have our our chef. You know, and together, together they work out creative ideas. They sometimes themes. Um, you know, we've had we've had you know comic books and stories and things like that. That you know the things that fit a theme. Um, but they also talk about ingredients that they'd really like to work with and and where they can cross utilize and where they can pair. Right? Because if you think about if you think about everything in specifically seasonal, uh, specifically seasonal direction, then you like you really channel yourself and you pigeonhole yourself a little bit too much. So if you think about like sometimes on a winter menu or a, a cold weather menu, we'll have some tropical drinks because it gives you an oasis. You can go to five bars and you have all like baking, you know, baking spice flavors and things like that. But, you know, then I'll, and that seems that can get boring, right? Mm-hmm. So if you give somebody like a tropical oasis in the middle of winter, that's a, that's a great thing to do. You have to have outliers to a menu and you have to give yourself the, the ability to, to paint outside the lines. And um, so we start with, a with a bar lab where they collaborate uh and ideas right mm-hmm. and then we we express those ideas to our bartenders and our and our and our cooks or our other cooks um and then we get together for the lab where um where we all the bartenders all the bartenders bring in drinks based on the on on the creative vision that we're talking about and uh the chef the chef throws out some some food and, and dishes that he's working on right now um, for the menu and we taste it all and we all give honest feedback there's we have a um, we call it bar lab so that we have a, a saying no crying in bar lab like you, you have to take <laughs> you have to take tough criticism um, for your cocktails or for your food and and be able to you know to give everybody the ability to be honest about how they feel about it whether they like it or don't like it or what they would change um, you know check your ego at the door is the ba- is basically what what we say is like because you know your own creative vision within your head might not translate out into a successful dish or a successful cocktail. So you need to rely on the people around you to give honest feedback and be able to take that criticism. So we start there. We have the first bar lab. We, we create notes from that lab, um, send them out to everybody, refine down the individual drinks. Uh, with the drinks, we have a three-tiered system. Um, you know, bank it is what we tell them. Bank it means it's going on the menu. It's perfect the way it is. You know, that's the we're going to go with that. Uh, the second is fix it. Uh, with with notes um, saying like this is okay this this looks like something we could do fix it here or bag it which is fundamentally unsound it's not going to work or you know or maybe it'll work for a later menu right so fix it bank it bag it right so we we basically tell them one of those three things and then we move on to the second one where we find that down after the second one uh, we get together again chef uh, chef bar manager myself and we we create a menu from what we have in front of us. Um, and then the third one, we, we roll it out for everybody and, and get everybody to uh, get everybody again to, to taste. And, you know, this is our finalized menu and little tweaks at that point. Like we're not going to change anything, anything big at that point, but, you know, we can tweak things and, and, you know, make things happen that way. So, you know, it's a, it's a three, it's, it's basically a three tasting process, but with two creative meetings in the, in the middle there. So five, uh, kind of a five tier process altogether. Wow. Is that is that something you developed? I I'm Justin, I think we have the same reaction, right? It's Yeah. That is that is quite a process. I had well, I would have not guessed is is that a, something you picked up along the way or is this something you developed? Yeah, it's something we created. Um, 
you know, that we created kind of organically. We didn't even think about like, we have to create this system. Um, when, when we first opened the, I wrote the entire menu, um, you know, because we were so busy trying to get open and trying to get people hired and, you know, requiring people to be there for, you know, a number of tastings and everything was difficult. Um, so I wrote the entire, the, the entire cocktail menu, uh, collaborated with our chef on, on what we were going to put out in our, in our opening food menu. Um, and you know, we, we wrote on that for about six months. We had our opening menu for six months and we didn't, we didn't mess with seasonal. We opened in, in, I don't think, yeah, we opened in November. We didn't change our menu until May. With that, we, we always wanted to be collaborative. Uh, we always, you know, we want, because if people take ownership in, in a menu item or they're able to, you know, they're able to get a drink on a menu, it's a point of pride for them. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's when in that May menu is when we brought everybody in and said, look, I'm not going to write these menus the rest of the, the rest of the time we're open. This is all about, this is about you. This is about your development. This is about you getting, you know, getting a cocktail on a menu, um, you know, on our menu. And so we, we started that, we started that process for that May menu in March with our first tasting, um, you know, with, with everybody brought their own ideas. We didn't give any focus back then. Like this, the, even the bar lab um, thing kind of developed over, over time because we, you know, we just said, just show up and give us, give us your best, you know? And, and, you know, we kind of refined that process over the next few years into, into what we do right now. Well, that, that vetting process has got to develop some phenomenal pairings on, on your menus. Uh, what are some of the, the most memorable ones for you that, that, that you can recall? You know, I, I think my, my favorite one, my favorite one altogether has been, um, our bone marrow, which is, you know, our, our bone marrow dish has been, it's been like the top tier of our menu for, for years. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's one of those things that, you know, we, it's it's never off the menu. We tried to take it off the menu once, uh, because she was like, (laughs) I just want to try something different. And it lasted like two weeks before we like has to go back on because the look of disappointment in people's faces when they got there. Um, you know, one of the things we do with the bone marrow um, is what we, we, we call a bone luge, which is, you know, yeah. after you've eaten the bone marrow, we offer a sherry. Yeah, we offer like a, a sherry, uh, a Repsado tequila or a nice whiskey or, or a brandy of some sort that you can, that you basically a half shot that you pour down, you know, yeah. you pour down the bone and you drink it and it brings the, you know, the juices and all the savory flavors from the, from what's left of the bone marrow um, into the, into the drink. It's so, it's so good. It can be a little messy sometimes, yeah. but it's so, so good. Um yeah. Yeah, I told you, Rich. I told you about that. That was that's yeah, a real yeah. thing. The yes, first one did. I had was in Denver too, so yeah. it's it's amazing. Right, and and um, you know that's one of our one of our favorites. One of the the things that actually you know we started getting in um in September we started getting emails and and Facebook messages and and Google messages about our French onion soup, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and the the uh, the French onion soup is is. Like it's one of the things we've been doing and, you know, we started with oxtail, um, and, and it's been for like the last five years. One of those things that we only returns every winter and people start, start asking about it. And we, it's, it's on the menu this week for the first time. And, you know, we've been getting six weeks worth of <laughs> messages. Like when's the French onion soup coming back? It's like you get somebody gets a taste of a little bit of cold weather and they're like, they're ready for it. So <laughs> that. The French onion soup with an Adonis cocktail, which is you know, which is a vermouth based a vermouth based cocktail or a vermouth a low alcohol vermouth uh, cocktail, is amazing. Like I think to me, those those really those really stand out on that. Um, you know, I like like a Vucare, like a classic uh, a classic Manhattan style cocktail with that with that bone marrow as you know as an accompaniment while you while you eat it, and then you can finish with a bone luge if you like. Um, you know, but the Adonis 
together with the French onion soup is I, I don't know. It's stellar, <laughs> a stellar combination. Um, you know, there's so there so many good ones over the years, and and we all have, um, you know, along with our menu when when we get our we put our menu guides out, we always put the suggested cocktails on the menu with whatever whatever food is on there, you know. And I mean, look, it's as easy. Our our burger is ridiculously good. Uh, port salute and 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 onions and everything. It's 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 delicious. And you know that even simply with a with a great pilsner that we you know that we have is is even perfect. We're not that. That you know that area cocktail where you have to come in and pair a cocktail with everything. If we have a you know if we have a great beer that goes with something or a nice glass of wine, we're still available for that. Even though you know cocktail bar has been the label has been put on us for years, we 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 believe ourselves to be beverage professionals all the way around. So you know I will celebrate a great local beer or you know something from something from Great Divide or Ratio or True um, to go along with you know along with our burger or something of the sort. Mm, yeah, I think. The first bone luge I had was at oh gosh, I think it was at Euclid. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. You, know, you know I started that there. Oh, you did? Um, yeah. When I was building, <laughs> um, when I was building Williams and Graham, I was working at Euclid Hall at night and building Williams and Graham all oh, day long. Wow, all day long. Um, and then you know it was a collaborative. Uh, the chef over there, uh, you know, we were talking about things that we can do, and and bone luge was one of them, and and. Uh, yeah, I thought it was we we thought it was really cool. I mean, we tried a couple of different things, you know, leading up to it, whether it was a shank or you know, like we're it yeah. just but the the bone marrow worked perfectly. Oh, it was All amazing. Right, yeah, yeah I, I, that makes <laughs> sense now. <laughs> okay, let's just time out on this right now. So explain this further because I've not it's, Justin, I know you talked about it and I just I didn't quite understand it. So is it what tell me describe this whole thing in okay. detail, please. So the oh, so oh. yeah. You, you you want to do it, Justin? No, no, no. I'm I'm yeah. gonna. I, I'm. I just know how to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. So you know you get it that when have you had bone marrow before, Rich? Have you have you had that at a, at a restaurant uh, in Asobuco, Maybe, but uh, yeah. that's about it. Right. So so you know it's the it's the it's the bone. It's the shank is is cut in half, right? Like uh-huh. long like long ways. Right. Um, so you get you get you know half a bone. You get well you get both halves of the bone on the plate, um, and the you know you we we serve with ciabatta bread. Um, like garlic ciabatta bread, and you you pull out the bone marrow and you put it on the plate, or you put it on your your bread and you eat it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're done, you you you're left with a bone with a channel down the middle of it. Okay. Um, and that's so luge. that's the luge. And there's always like little bits of bone marrow left. I mean, as many as much as people try to scoop it all up, you know, because it's delicious. Um, you know, there's always little bits left there. So what you do, what they do is. We we take a um, a it's a, like a jigger. We we take a jigger like a, a jigger with a little pour spout on the end of it. Um, we pour out uh, an ounce of uh, like I said whiskey, Repsado tequila, or sherry if you want something low alcohol. Um, a great sh- sherry is my favorite one to do, right? Because it's so delicious. If you get um, you know a nice amontillado sherry or something of the sort, so uh, you you lift it up. Um, you know, you, you lift it up and you hold it. Sometimes we put a napkin underneath for people because it can get a little messy. Put it right to your mouth, and we pour um, the sherry, the whiskey, or the tequila down the oh, down the channel. Got it. Comes down and just like you would do, like you know, at old school, like an ice luge or something like that, where uh-huh. you, you know you drink shots out of it. But this one, this through the bone and the spirit or the sherry picks up picks up the flavors on the way down, and it's uh, it's delicious. How long it, it of really a piece is. of bone? <laughs> Yeah. How long is the piece of bone that you serve? It's like six. It's like six inches or so, okay. six to eight inches. Yeah, just piece of shank. 
something yeah. in there. Yeah. 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 We enjoyed it so much that when uh, we went to Chicago and we ate at the Purple Pig, uh, they had bone marrow on their menu. And then there, we were like, hey, yeah, we want to do we want to do a shot with this. And they just kind of looked at us with this insane <laughs> like, what? Like, yeah, but yeah, bring us bring us a shot of tequila and we'll we'll show you how this goes down. And it was it was a bit messier because we were doing it ourselves. But uh, they the, the, the whole kitchen staff came out and they're like watching and they're like, oh, OK, I want to try this yeah. now, too. So we, huh. we, we, we helped spread the love there. <laughs> some people, Very honestly, some people come get the bone marrow just so they could do the luge at the end, which is crazy, right? It's yeah, just, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was yeah. going to ask you, how do you get people to try that? I mean, someone walks in your bar and they see that, they must be like, what is going on over there, right? Right, yeah. And it's one of those, you know, it's like, if you you know, you walk a, you walk like a tiki bowl through a room with, you know, a flaming tiki bowl. Yes, it's one of those yes. things that people see and then everybody orders it. You know, I mean, we used to, when I, I worked at Steuben's for years, we, you know, like the first tiki bowl that went out on a Friday night, we always terrified us. Because, you know, <laughs> the, as soon as that walked through the room, we'd, we'd get, uh, we, we'd get, you know, 10 orders from right away. And, and, uh, but you know, when, when people see this kind of interactive process, and that's one of the things that, that I think is, is really valuable in a bar when you have these traditions and things that are, that are interactive with the guests and, and, you know, it's, I, I love that. Right. So, um, you know, that your server comes over, they set you up, they give you, they, they give you the, the, the napkin, um, you know, they show you how to hold it and they pour it for you and, and somebody else sees that they, they all, every, you like, there'll be yeah. at least three or four people that are like, what just happened right there? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I got to know what just happened. So people will order the bone marrow just so they can, they can do the luge afterwards. And, you it's know, totally we didn't cool. invent it, honestly, you know, I mean, there, there's, you know, there's, it's one of those things with Jarrell, the chef over there, like we're, we're talking about it and, and we had heard about, I don't even remember where we had heard it about people doing it before, but, you know, we decided that we we're going to, we we're going to get it, get, do it at, at Euclid, but we didn't really put it into action like we did at Williams and Graham, um, you know, where, where it kind of became, you know, our server. So if you have a bone marrow, the server will suggest to you, you know, holding onto your bone and maybe, mm. maybe trying to lose afterwards. It's not a, it's not like an upsell. Like we're not trying to like, it's not, we're, we're not trying to add to your check. It's, it's like, you just should, should experience this because it's really cool. <laughs> fun. Yeah. If you've gone that far and you've ordered, ordered the bone marrow, you just got to finish it off but for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's a, and it's only, we're not, you know, I think it's a six dollar add on it because we're, you know, we're only doing an ounce, right? You know, yeah. so we're not trying to kill you with two ounces of <laughs> two ounces of whiskey at the end, you know. Yeah. So, it, it, yeah, it's it's a it's a cool way to do it. It's a cool experience. That's awesome. How does the hiring process go? I mean, because you're you're not just um, serving tap beers and rail mixers. It's mm-hmm. it's the the experience, and it's this type of experience has really expanded over the past even fifteen years or so where you have a more experienced, more knowledgeable bartending staff that are uh, have some proper training in mixology. Um, what, what does the process look like for when you're uh, bringing in new staff in those roles? Yeah, so, you, you know, the, the skill set for, for being a bartender has changed, you know, since I started, first started bartending in, in you know, 1980, 1985, right, um, 86. And, and, you know, back then, back then it, it was just, you know, if you, if you had a good personality and you could take care of people, they slap you behind the bar and, and give you no training, be like, this is how it works. This is how yeah. you make a rum and Coke. This is how you do this. You know, we had a theory back in the eighties, like if, you know, when we got busy, you know, after a couple of years and you're working Friday, Saturday nights and somebody asked for a drink you never heard of before, the theory was make it uh, wrong, red and strong, right? Make it wrong, <laughs> make it red, make it strong. Nobody complains. Nobody ever returns it. 
and you know, unless there was a, col- a color in the name that wasn't red, then you're kind of in trouble. But you know, ro- red, wrong, and strong, right? And and it's a good T-shirt, know, right there. Yeah. And and then you know, fast forward, you know, 30, 30 years or so, you know, we're you know into into the mid two thousands, right? Where the you know Dale DeGroff, guys like Dale DeGroff and Gaz Regan, um, David Wondrich, Tony Abuganum, like those guys brought back the craft of the cocktail with with like you know books that changed our industry and then all of a sudden people were getting um, motivated and having to learn and learning old classics you know I shook Manhattans for the first 20 years of my career like I can't tell you I can't go back and say you know I was doing it all right from the beginning you know I mean we we figured it out so you know the you know it wasn't until like the mid 90s where somebody where somebody you know showed me that like a had me taste this third Manhattan for the first time in my life. And I'm like, I'm never shaking one of these ever again, unless the guests insist on it, then, you know, we'll do whatever they like. Um, but now even, you know, come full circle, like, you know, you talk about in, in the mid two thousands, the, the, the early teens, people were hiring people who had this like wealth of classic cocktail knowledge and slapping them behind the bar and saying, this is, you know, these people know what they're doing. Well, problem was just because they read a book about classic cocktails didn't mean they knew how to bartend. Didn't mean they had the physical the physical aspects it took to, to bartend. It didn't mean that they had even the people skills. And that's, a, you know, I was actually having a discussion with somebody last night about this. There was a, a really important time in our career, in our industry, where where the science of what we we do, we do took, a, you know, took a forward step. And, like, it, it went forward of everything else we did. Hospitality took a backseat, you know, pro, like – Bartending acumen took a backseat. Everything did, and, and cocktail knowledge was like the, like the you know the number one thing. But it, you know it, it's, it if you think about that, you know I went to some of these world famous bars back in two thousand eight, two thousand seven, and you know the experience was was limited because the bartender could tell me what was on page thirty nine of the Savoy column two, but they couldn't you know they couldn't tell me like you know if the Yankees or the Mets won last night or mm-hmm. you know like where where the greatest places are around this neighborhood like where should I go after I get done like the art of the bartender was lost yeah in in the craft of the cocktail right so fast forward you know to now you know and, and the the industry caught on after a bunch of years a bunch of a bunch of us yelling and screaming about um you know like we got to get back to our foundation and teach you know have go with a personality first approach and, and teach them all the things they need to know. Um, and that's where we're at. And that's where we're always been. We, we have a, we have a phrase, you know, hire the personality, train the skill, right? Um, you know, if, if we, we have our, our interviews are unconventional, you know, um, you know, we'll interview somebody, you know, we'll look at their, somebody's resume, we'll bring them in for an interview. We'll talk to them about some of the basic stuff, but not, you know, we, it's more conversational. It's not like, tell me about this situation you've been in or tell me about, you know, why did you leave this bar? Why did you leave that bar? You know, those, the, the, the traditional questions kind of go out the window. You want to know more about somebody's, somebody, um, you know, their personality or their heart and soul, right? So then you take them to, um, the second interview happens in a coffee shop or somewhere public, which is a little more difficult right now, but our staff is pretty entrenched. Like we haven't hired somebody in, in, a, in a while here. But, you know, you take them somewhere public and, and for us, like, I take them to a coffee shop or I think I read somebody about a famous restaurateur taking somebody to breakfast, you know, cause they wanted to see like how they ordered and what they did. And for us and for me, you know, if, if I, I take them to a bar or a coffee shop 
and you know and i want to see how they order if they if they say hello to the person behind the behind the counter if they treat them like a human being or they treat them like a vending mm. machine right. right you know and and i want to see that i want to see that they make a personal connection cuz i i say hello to people all day long you know like hi how you doing like rather than just you know what can i do for you or you know i always say hello first right that's the mm-hmm. start with hello something i learned in france years ago um you know that i got taught this like the first time i went to france I, I got a phrase book. I was, I was like ins- insane about like learning all these words. And, you know, when I, that, but I got out of the airport, got into the train station and wanted to buy two tickets to, to Paris Central or uh, Garden Nord, right? So I practiced, practiced, practiced saying two tickets to Garden Nord, please, um, you know, and step up to the, it's my turn to get up to the, to the window. And I say, you know, two tickets to Garden Nord and, in, in French, um, Dubier, s'il vous plaît, and in terrible accents, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but you know, the, the woman behind the can, the behind the glass looked, just looked at me like cocked her head at me and didn't respond. So I said it again. She didn't respond. I stepped back and took a look at my phrase book. I was like, okay, it's right. Step back up to say it one more time. And she looked at me and says, she said, bonjour. And she said, hello. So I said hello back, and then I asked, and then she took care of me. So I went to this Irish bar, and I went to this Irish bar, and I told her, I told my the my bartender the story. And this guy, Sean Cushnahan, is a friend of mine to this day. Like this is now twenty something years ago, um, and he was like, "That's the French man." He's like, "He's like, you have to start with hello." Like every they insist that you start with a greeting. Americans walk up and just ask an abrupt question and treat you know they they mm-hmm. want to get what they want. But the French say hello. They want to make sure that you're you're doing well, and then they go into their conversation. And I was like, man, that that blew my mind, right? I was like, I, I was like, so it helped me the rest of the time. I was even if my French was terrible. If I said hello first, everybody took yeah. care of me. You know, you get that thing about the French being rude. It's quite the opposite. You know, I mean, they can be put off sometimes, but if you say hello and and you know ask if they speak English at, at the beginning without assuming, you know, the, then everything's great. So the, that was a little bit of an aside, but. You know, I want to see that same quality in a in a bartender or somebody that I want to see that yearning to to connect to another human being, right? That's the important part to yeah. me. You know, and I know some some great bartenders around the country started in like Starbucks or baristas and things like that because they had the physicality that it takes to you know manage the coffee and manage you know this big long line and and make sure everybody's taken care of quickly. But the first thing I want to see is that they connect with the person in front of them. Yeah, right? and yeah. and that's the that's really important to me. Yeah, that that emotional IQ is just so critical in any position, but especially one where that's your job is dealing with people. And bars and restaurants, for that matter, are emotional places. That's where highs are happening. That's where lows are happening. And you need somebody to be able to to wrangle all that and make sense of it all. Yeah, I mean, you go to you go to celebrate, you go to commiserate, you Mm -hmm. go for no reason. You know, there's so many reasons you go for like just to just to be around people. You know, and and we always we talk about a lot about the you know the single guest, the lone guest, um, being the most important person in the room because they're they they're going somewhere to be part of a community, right? Because they you know they're they're uh, they're by themselves, they're they're traveling, you know they they don't have friends in town, you know they're going to be part of something. You have to bring them into the fold. So you want this emotional IQ, like you said, you know the people to to want this connection and to have compassion and empathy, and you work with that, right? So. That's interview two, and we'll talk about we'll talk conversationally at that thing. If we get to the point where we are like we want to hire this person, I'll go have a drink with them. This isn't something that can only happen in an independent restaurant. 
you know, it's not HR, HR at a big corporate <laughs> place is not going to, is not going to promote this, um, <laughs> this theory. But, you know, I, I think there's a couple of reasons I want to have a drink with them. You know, is if, if they don't drink, that's fine. I, you know, if, if somebody's, if somebody's sober, I, I know plenty of sober bartenders, but you know, it, it allows people to let their, their guard down a little bit and show a little bit of themselves. And, and, you know, because in interviews, people are so protective of everything they might say and they think about every sentence before it comes out of their mouth you know but if you're at the third interview by that time you're relaxed enough you you know you believe you're you get the job the only thing by that time they either have the job or they completely fuck it up right like it's it's like <laughs> yeah. you know i mean the a little truth serum like if they have one drink and all of a sudden feel really relaxed and all of a sudden they're talking shit about all the staff they worked how they're the hardest working person in the room you, you know that old saying about how the you know the the smartest the person who thinks they're the smartest person in the room never is Right. Mm, right. Yeah. Same thing goes for the person who thinks they're the hardest working person in the room. They never are. You know, they're like they always think that I'm I'm the one working my ass off and everybody else is lazy. Like that's never the truth. You know, they're never, and you know, I mean, I have a pretty much 100 percent success rate of anybody that's ever told me that they're the hardest working person in the room, you know, not being the hardest working person. Yeah. in the room. You know, it's the people who do it, you know, who do it quietly that really are the ones that are that are killing it. Um, so that's the third, that's the third or final interview that, you know, that really they can only lose the job at that point. Um, then we'll bring it in and we, you know, for us that, and this is the really, the really interesting part is like, over in the last, in 11 years, we've hired three people direct to bartender, three, mm. right? Everybody wow. else has started as a porter, which our porters are people who do our prep all day. Um, you know, they get all the, all, all they get the syrups done. They do, um, you know, they, they do all the juicing, they set the bars up before the bartenders come in because we want, our bartenders aren't divas in any way, but we want them to be fresh, as fresh at midnight as they were, as they are at 5 p.m. Um, so we try to get them to come in as late as possible, set their bar up the way they want, and then and then go. So we have porters that do that, that set that up. It's a good way to learn the bar from inside out, right? You're within that porter system for a while. Um, you know, you, you have to take, you have to take bar smarts, which is an online learning uh, program for spirits that I'm involved in. Um, you know, then, you know, you, we teach you how, how it operates from the back of house forward. Right. So you start as a porter, you move into bar back, um, you know, and then you're, you know, you're backing up your bartender. So you're seeing like what you've set up all day for the last few months, you know, you're seeing it in action and seeing it during the shift, like how you've set it up for success. Then you're seeing that success and then you're learning how the bartenders make, you know, how make how they make their night successful by backing them up and being around them every night. You know, then you move out on the floor as a server and then you move back behind the bar as a as a bartender. So there's a process. Um, so we've homegrown a lot of great bartenders. Um, our our GM, uh, Sadie, Sadie Hopkins, is is she's she started as as a host. She started up front um, and then she's worked every position in the building. Uh, up to up to being a bartender and you know and our bar manager and now now our GM um, and she's she's amazing and and she there's nothing she can't do in that building you know hmm. and and that's the way we we love it that way because people become they're they're multifaceted if you're if your porter's out for a day I could pull a bartender and say can you can you you know can you pull a, a prep shift for us um, you know or everybody can do everybody can work every position in the building and that's the that's the beauty of having a small staff in a small in a small place. Wow, quite the process that is. Yeah, yeah. You see, you can tell that I'm I'm a little bit into processes, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I started writing some of them down here. Actually, very good uh, notes on these, and yeah. you know that that just goes to show it is, uh, as you said, it there's ways to get into bartending, and then there's the right way to get into it. And bringing yeah. someone along like that, I think, is absolutely. A, I mean, it's proven out for you, right? You, yeah, you've got I mean, it figured out. 
you get when, when you invest in somebody from the beginning like that you you really get a commitment and we have you know a, like i was saying we've only put three people direct to bartender and that's just because they're the people in the ranks weren't ready to be in front of people yet and that's the most that's the most important thing so we kind of have to train them in reverse but that's okay i mean you know if, if i believe somebody has you know it has a great personality and and they're they're willing to learn we'll we'll get them we'll get them there you know and and that's the you know it's that's an important part of what we do so how how do you train your bartenders we were talking about this a little earlier in the show someone comes in and they order a basic drink do you do you train your bartenders to bring that guest along to maybe suggest the next i don't know is it a higher quality or is it the next iteration of the drink or next iteration of that spirit or yeah. how do you do you train your bartenders on suggestive kind of bringing the guest along on a on a spirit journey, so to speak. Do you have a process for that? Yeah, <laughs> I like that we, spirit yeah, journey. Yeah, yeah we're, we'll be your spiritual guides. Um, <laughs> there we go. You know, it. There's yes, and and but with a with a caveat. We bartending and especially cocktail bars. You know, the uh, some bartenders, some cocktail bars I go to, and this is one thing I've always insisted on not having. You look at their menu, and it's like there's so many like esoteric and oddball things in the menu that you need a glossary of terms just to just to get through it right mm. you know i mean whether it's exotic fruits or or you know like you know like there's calamansi on a menu or there's you know there's there's you know some some sort of some sort of spirit that they've never heard of or a rocky or you know something something that you've not seen you know in normal even normal culinary you know you'll see on these menus and it's so mm -hmm. it's so intentionally uh, unique or intentionally, um, obscure that I, it's hard to read. You know, there's not, that's not a, com there's not a comfort level there with the guests at the beginning. I mean, you know, it's, everybody's seen like, you know, a first time chef's menu, right? The menu they put out and it's like every, every menu item is, is in a different language or something, you know, again, you <laughs> yes. need a glossary of terms and it looks like, it looks like a young chef trying to impress people with their acumen. Right. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, you know, but, for us, we realize that there's going to be things on a menu that even if, if we if we simplify things, there's going to be things on a menu that people don't really recognize. And you know, your your person who goes out and drinks a, a gin and tonic or a Jack and Coke or a vodka soda or just drinks beer doesn't you know comes in with their friends who are into cocktails and and really they're 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 hesitant, right? Mm -hmm. So if somebody you know if they're comfortable with with a with a vodka soda and that's what they want, we'll gladly serve them a vodka soda. You've right. We, it's all about relationships and creating trust, right? Mm -hmm. You, you, you want to, you want to make them feel comfortable about what they're drinking because that's what they enjoy. It's what it gives them a sense of familiarity while they're there. You can talk to them a little bit about what you do. If they seem like they want that, right? Some people don't, they, some people are hardcore. Like I'm vodka soda guy. That's it. You know, nothing else. Um, but some people will see their friends ordering these exotic things and, and want to branch out. So you help them branch out you know when they ask for it or you could tell if you could you could tell talking to somebody whether they want to um you know kind of expand their their cocktail knowledge while they're there or sure. not and and help them along the way without being pretentious is the worst thing you can have yeah. at a bar is i've sat at plenty of cocktail bars over the years and and had to listen to a bartender like expand upon you know the you know a treatise on bitters or whatever it is like if somebody doesn't want that like if somebody's not asking for that, I don't want to hear it. Like sometimes I just want to drink. I don't want to talk about, I don't want to talk about cocktails or cocktail culture or anything like that. I go into a bar and, and you know, I mean, I just want to drink and that's, I've had it happen because I used to work right for the Westward and I still, you know, I still contribute to the Westward every once in a while here in town. 
you know, writing about cocktails and bartending and bars. And, you know, I used to get, I used to do it regularly. So I'd get recognized out of a bar and a bartender would like want to, they just want to drop their, you know, their magnum opus on me, you know, the, <laughs> their, their, their most amazing creation they've ever created in their life. They wanted to give it to me. And, but sometimes I just wanted, I, I really just wanted a whiskey neat and didn't want to have a cocktail, but you know, I was obliged, but you know, you know, you can take people along on a journey as long as they want to, they want to be on that journey. Um, you want to, you want to establish that trust. You'll get a comfort level with someone and, you know, then you can, you can help them expand. And maybe on this trip, they, you know, they expand into a highball, you know, like a variation on a Tom Collins from a, from their vodka soda or, you know, you know, or even something, even something on a gin and tonic realm, you know, something, something, something there, you know, you could take somebody up from a vodka soda, but if they don't want to move up and they're happy with what they're at, that's great. They might do it on this trip. They might do it on the next trip in. Um, you know, we focus on the experience rather than, rather than, you know, specifically the cocktail or specifically the, the food or whatever it is, or the pairing of the two. We want, you know, what, what is, you know, like a cradle to grave experience, you know, like, you know, like the, from every, everything from when you step in the front door to when you leave, we, we manage that experience in a way without people feeling like it's been managed. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's the thing is that if they feel like they're being managed hundred percent of the time, then they're not going to feel comfortable. Hmm. Uh, but right. yeah, if we can, we can help people if they want to be helped, but we'll never, you know, we're, nobody's ever going to roll their eyes at a vodka soda at our bar. We're happy. Sometimes when you're getting your ass kicked, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with a ton of cocktails in front of you and somebody orders a vodka soda, you're like, yes, love that. <laughs> make up some time, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, it, it's, we want to take the guests on the journey they want to go on. How many drinks do you have on your menu? Now that we touched on some of those like more difficult involved drinks and how many do you have on your menu? Right. Um, back on Old Earth, uh, before all this, we we had uh, with fourteen drinks on our on our on our new menu on our our, our originals, um, the ones we created. So thirteen to fourteen, depending. The Blackberry Sage Smash, the one signature cocktail that we've had since the opening, never leaves the menu, but everything else changes. Um, that's another one we took off the menu for one menu. It didn't really work, so people still ordered it anyway. Um, you know, so that. Now, now we, we've kind of pared that down to eight, uh, in, in our, our reopening, our reopening phase. Uh, but, but there's 64 classics, uh, listed by spirit. Um, you know that, but those are, it, it's funny because people are like your menus, your menu's so huge is 72 drinks on it. It's like, no, it's not really because the classics that we have on the menu are classics that any bartender, any cocktail bartender worth their salt would have in their pocket anyway. Right. You know, so that's just a guide. The, the menus that part of the menu is just a guide for our guests so they can, they can look through and, and, you know, pick a classic. Um, you know, but we already know those cocktails, like those, those change maybe once a year, we'll adjust and tweak some of them. Right. But that, that's a constant. So they'll always know those, those drinks, but the, they'll have to learn now eight, eight to 14 new ones, you know, six times a year, uh, which, you know, for most bartenders isn't, isn't that hard. And we, we allow them to have cheat sheets for the first, uh, first uh, few shifts of service after it, and then cheat sheets got to go away. Put some time in to learn it, right? Yeah, yeah I, yep, I mean, yeah. we we want it just to be to to nail it. I had a question about a specific drink, and it's obviously in Wisconsin, it's a huge part of our culture. But, and I've had varying degrees of quality to garbage ones. But how do you guys do an old fashioned? Okay, so. <laughs> There's so there's the old fashioned and there's the Wisconsin old fashioned. Right, right, right. right. You know, and, and that I mean, you have to know 
you know that that's it's if some if somebody is comes with a wicked Wisconsin accent and they're asking for an old fashioned, you got to, yeah, you got to know like, you you know, that thing's going to have Sprite in it or it's, you know, it's got to have all the fruit in it and you know, that, that kind of stuff. I'm still not great at Wisconsin old fashions because simply because like I've gotten so many answers from people from Wisconsin, like on what is actually a Wisconsin old fashioned, you know, the brandy old fashioned, it's got to be Corbell brandy. It's got to have Sprite in it. It doesn't have Sprite in it. It's got fruit in it. Like I've really not got one consistent answer from somebody from Wisconsin. So you know, that we usually ask people, you know, we have, a, I think we have a couple of versions of that behind the bar of the, of the, you know, the brandy old fashioned or the, the Wisconsin old fashioned, but our old fashioned is we have a, the old, old fashioned, and the new old fashioned is how we serve. So, you know, if you go back, if you go back and talk about old fashions, about how they, you know, how they first came to light, you know, it, you know, it was a drink that was, you know, that, that first appeared in print in like 1806 as just a cocktail, right? So if you walked into, if you walk into a bar and in or somewhere to get a drink in, in the early 1800s, you would ask for a cocktail. You would get whatever spirit they had behind their bar. They didn't have a selection. They had, you know, if you're in Georgia, you're getting peach brandy. If you're in Jersey, you're getting apple brandy. You know, if you're in Pennsylvania, Kentucky, you're going to get some sort of whiskey, you know, with cocktail bitters or bitters, digestive bitters, water and sugar, like that combination they would serve to you as an individual drink because they used to drink just punch in, in larger drinks. Um, so you just walk in, ask for a cocktail. That's what you got. You really had no choice. You didn't have, you know, whatever it was. But the, you know, the differences were there are different kinds of sugar, be palm sugar, coconut sugar, you know, uh, molasses. It could have been maple syrup or depending on where you're at, that some sort of sweetener, whatever digestive bitters they had there. And the water part was if you're in a ritzy place, you're getting ice, but mostly they're just adding like tap water or branch water to it and, and you're getting something. So when Jerry Thomas created fancy cocktails and in, in, in you know, the first fancy cocktail book in 1853, um, then if you wanted to drink something that your family had been drinking for the 50 years prior that you've been used to going into, you know, when, when those fancy cocktails came in vogue, you would have to walk into a, a bar and, and ask for an old fashioned cocktail, Right. So the one that you've been drinking for years. So that is what we serve. Our, our, our old fashioned is simply whiskey or if somebody wants a different spirit um, with Angostura bitters, uh, a little bit of sugar and then a little lemon zest um, stirred and, you know, stirred and on the rocks. Um, that's the simple old fashioned, right? For us. Um, lemon zest just wakes it up a little bit. And, and, you know, some people go with the scrub. We like that. So, you know, we do that, uh, the scrub, you know, we, the scrub. So if you, if you put the lemon zest in the bottom with, with a little pith, with very little pith on your, on your, you put it in the bottom with the sugar, uh, you're going with granulated sugar. You, you muddle it around a little bit with, uh, with just a, a tiny splash of soda. So you're basically making a syrup or creating a roux basically in the bottom yeah, of your, I you, get it. you know, in the bottom of the glass with your bitters and everything. Um, It'll scrub the oils off the lemon. It really kind of carries that all the way through, and, and that's the way that's the way we serve it or do it. A scrub, um, got it. We'll stir that's a good it. Tip. We'll we'll stir it, and then we'll pour it into a over over into another glass. Um, you know, or just add the ice on top of it. Stir it that way, and and that's actually we we do that we do it that way. We we stir the ice on top of it. Um, you know, and and just serve it in that same glass that we just made it in. Um, you know, that's the, that's our standard old fashioned, but we also have the new old fashioned. So there's the old, old fashioned, and then there's new old fashioned. Um, the new old fashioned was, it's a fancy cocktail version. So when Jerry Thomas's book, how to mix drinks, the Bombay Vance companion came out in the 1850s, you know, by the 1870s, you know, if you wanted an old fashioned, you had to ask for your old fashioned cocktail, but there was a fancy cocktail version of the old fashioned, 
which, you know, had fruit in it, had the cherry, had the, you know, that's the cherry with a, you know, we use a, um, we use the, the maraschino cherry, the marasca cherries, uh, the brandy cherries from Luxardo, um, with a, a slice of orange, bitters, sugar. We use simple syrup in our, you know, we use a, a two to one simple syrup in our old fashioned rather than, rather than syrup, muddle all that in the bottom. Again, creating a roux, pouring the spirit on top of it, right? And then ice and then stirring it. And that's your, that's your new old fashioned. So you're the old, old and new old. I think I'd like both of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're yeah. both delicious in their own right. And, you know, I mean, the, the, the eye rolling bartenders, you know, that they, that you get like, that's not an old fashioned. It's like, it, it actually is. It was interpreted for a hundred yeah. years. That's how people drank old fashions. Yeah. Right. And it's just coming back to the, to the old version because we have people like David Wondrich and cocktail historians that could tell us how it was, you know? Well, you're yeah. right. Those are two interesting old fashions, but uh, not a Wisconsin old fashioned. No, I'll tell not you. even close. Well, well, even a Wisconsin old, like like Rich, he's a Wisconsin old fashioned sweet, and I'm I'm an uh, uh, Wisconsin old fashioned sour. You know, yeah. yeah. They always ask you that here, like uh, when you ask for old fashioned, like sweet or sour. You know, yep. and and then I, I get mine with olives. He gets his with cherries. You know, and that's yeah, that's that's how we roll. <laughs> you get yours with with olives? Did you say? I I do. You know, I yeah, right I sour <laughs> with olives. That's maybe I'm just weird, but that's that's yeah, the way we, I like to go. We did bar smarts in in Milwaukee um, a number of years ago, and um, uh, first of all, you, you know, Kaz's Mini Bowl might be one of my favorite places in the world. Ah, uh, yes. In that place. Love that place. Um, but we did go to a place that was famous for their old fashions, and I, I can't remember the name. It was a little fancier. Um, oh, know, I, and, I know. Was it Bryant's? Yeah, yeah. that was it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Bryant's. I knew it had a it, – it was like a guy's name. Yeah. You know, it's always a guy's name. name. Yeah. It's right, always exactly. a family's name. Right. I'd always kind of like discounted the, the, the Wisconsin old fashioned because I didn't really like it. It just said – I don't – I don't really enjoy sweet things and whether you're getting sweet or sour, it still seems sweet to me. So, you know, we, but we had some delicious ones there and I was, you know, it was a, I wouldn't call it a convert. Like it's not going to be my first thing I reach for, but you know, like when in, as my grandfather used to say, when in Rome eat spaghetti, you know, like in that, that, that's, so we we're there, we we're drinking Wisconsin old fashions. I was totally into it. Right on. Speaking of, of drinks, Rich, what do you think? Should yeah. we get to? Yeah, we uh, should. I, Sean, I, I know we, uh, we've we been talking a lot about drinks here, and I, I really was we, – we kind of primed our listeners a little bit earlier in hoping that you can give us a Thanksgiving specialty drink. Is that something you, you might be able to provide for our guests here? Something yeah, special they can make for Thanksgiving? Yeah, I mean, and, and it's easy. Um, you know, for me, for me uh, you know, when I think of – when I think of like – holiday drinks, I think of, you know, like, like I, I like spice, right? And I'm not talking about heat spice. I'm not talking about like jalapeno pepper or, or that kind of spice. Like I'm talking mold. about like, yeah, like baking spices and, you know, like, like you would get in a mold wine or, you know, or something of the sort. So I like, I like to work with that, especially on holidays. So, you know, if you're in a place that's cold, I love, I love a hot toddy, right? And, mm. and even, even not, I mean, you know, I've drank, I've drank hot toddies in, in, in Florida, I don't really care, you know, <laughs> yeah. what, where it is or how hot it is. But, you know, a simple way to do a great, a great cocktail is to, to make, um, there's two, there's two drinks I can give you here. One is the hot toddy, right? Okay. So chai tea, um, you want to get a, a basic chai tea. There's a two leaves makes a mountain chai. Uh, that's a bag, like, like a Thai, a chai bag tea. You want to make that as a strong tea, a strong brew tea. So, um, that is one bag to four ounces of water. Um, you know, so it's a double strong tea because you want that flavor as you expand and add things to it. 
to, to, you know, to, to be through the, the entire cocktail. Um, you want two ounces of whiskey or, or brandy. Um, you know, I'm a, I, I'll go straight for the, I'll go straight for the bourbon there and, and, you know, do it for me. It's a, a high proof bourbon as far as, you know, it's got it like somewhere either 90, 90 to 92 proof, you know, or higher if you like. I mean, you know, I can, I can put a cast strength in there, but I've been, I've been drinking a lot longer and a lot more professionally than most. Um, <laughs> but you know, you want something, you want something that, 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 so the higher the proof of the whiskey, the, the more the flavor is going to carry through the, through the cocktail, the lower proof, like the, the 40, 40% or 80 proof, uh, whiskey is also, um, you know, that, that flavor will kind of hide behind the others. Um, so you want two ounces, two ounces of a, of a high proof whiskey. You want four, four to six ounces of tea and you want, uh, a half an ounce of honey, half an ounce to half an ounce to three quarters of an ounce of honey, just straight honey. Um, and I mean, that's your simple holiday cocktail because it's, you know, it's super easy to make. You can make it in large bounce. The, the tricks to it are because your honey and your bourbon aren't going to be hot, right? You want to heat the glass with a, you know, from the kettle, you want to get, you want to get hot water in that glass. So the glass is hot. Then you want to pour your, your two ounces of bourbon, your honey in there to taste. So half an ounce to an ounce, depending on, on, you know, where your, where your flavor is. Um, and then you want to add your, your maybe six ounces of tea. Um, you know, and that's, it's simple and you can like drop a cinnamon stick in it. So it looks pretty right. You know, or, or you can, you know, you can grate some nutmeg over the top of it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and you have a, or even an orange twist works as well. So that like that style of hot toddy. So hot toddy is, you know, like we talk about the, the, the construct of a cocktail, like the hot toddy is, is a, is, is a concept, right? It's not a specific drink, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's spirit, it's, it's sugar and it's, it's water, right? And sometimes citrus, you know, sometimes there's, there's, mm -hmm. there's lemon in there. You know, some people like it with lemon, some people don't, but this simple one is delicious and an easy, like, you know, post dinner, wind down, have a great cocktail one there. Uh, second is you can mess with the old fashioned, right? The old fashioned is, you know, the old fashioned I was just talking about. The old fashioned is again, a concept, not a cocktail. Well, we were talking earlier, it's, it's, you know, water, sugar, bitters, spirit, right? So we're going to, we're going to use again, two ounces of whiskey. We're going to make a, an Earl Grey simple syrup, right? So we're going to again, use tea. This is the easiest way to be creative at home, uh, making cocktails. We're going to make a strong brewed Earl Grey tea. So again, you know, one bag per four ounces of water. Um, you know, you can make a bunch of it if you want, you can make eight ounces of it and then take that tea and equal parts by volume as a eight ounces of tea to eight ounces of sugar by volume, not by, not by weight, right? Mix those two together, pour your sugar into the tea, not the tea into the sugar. So it's easier to dissolve. Um, you know, then you have an Earl Grey simple syrup that you can use with whiskey. Mm. So, you know, you pour, you know, a half an ounce, a half an ounce of three quarters of an ounce of that syrup into, into a glass, pour two ounces of whiskey on top of it, uh, a couple dashes of Angostura bitters, uh, pour, get your ice on top of that, stir a little orange zest over the top and you've got yourself an Earl Grey old fashioned. that's really delicious and really easy to make. If you like, if there's like, if you want English breakfast tea or, you know, another tea that you like black tea and, and whiskey, like those syrups work amazing and it's easy and you can make, make them at, at your house. You can, it's, it's really, really simple to, to wow your friends with something as simple as that. Mm, that's, those are some great tips there with the yeah. teas. That's awesome. 
Yeah, I'm really. I'm cool. definitely trying that, and I'm I'm going to get feedback. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's right awesome. on, please. <laughs> going to do a, a great uh, a new old fashioned here. Well, that's a thing. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Cool. That's great. Wow. Thank you so much. That uh, we appreciate it, and, and thanks again for joining us today. This has been been a pleasure chatting with you, and thanks again for everything. And before we let you go, we always like to ask our guests at some point in your life, your career. There was someone that said something to you that um, more of a quote that you read or something that inspires you. Would you like to share something like that with our guests? Yeah, you know, I, I, I used to work with this old guy named Clyde um, years ago, and he was cantankerous and had lost his ability to be nice to people. But he was really good. <laughs> he was really good at a lot of things, um, you know, and, and basically he would he would tell me, he's, you know, he's going to you're going to make a ton of mistakes in your life, you know, and, and he's probably paraphrasing or quoting somebody, quoting somebody here, but he, he always said that, you know, good judgment comes from experience and good experience comes from bad judgment, you know? Hmm. And, yes. and I was like, man, that makes, it's, it's a fancy way of saying, you know, learn from your mistakes, That's but right. you know, he's like, you're going to, you're, you're going to screw up a lot in your life and just learn from it and you'll be, you'll be okay. And, and, you know, I've always gone back to that. You know, if something every, my father, my father separately, he didn't even know Clyde, you know, would always, would always say that every bad experience is a funny story later, you know? Hmm. And, and I mean, it's, it's not really, not every bad experience is a <laughs> yeah. funny story, but you know, it, it also, you know, you can, we can get, and I'm looking at this whole 2020 situation just like that, right? It's, you know, we're all getting put through the ringer. Um, you know, we, we need to learn, like take the valuable lessons out of it. And, you know, when we're able to, and, you know, change what we need to change and we're able to move on and, you know, and things will be, more normal things are not the normal we knew is not going to be back you know that will but we'll be able to normalize whatever you know wherever we we adapt to at some point and we're trying to take this this is a bad experience and you know hopefully sometime mm-hmm. in 2025 we're we're able to look back at 2020 mm-hmm. but man that was you know that we just slap each other on the back and be like thank god we got through that right thank and, god and right. we can all we can all be really we can all you know be satisfied because our industry will be where it is. Our, I'm not afraid for our industry. You know, we have an amazing combination of tenacity and creativity and, you know, we fought every day to keep our bar open. So, you know, this is just another roadblock for us. And there's a lot of people in our industry who are, they're willing to fight because this is all we know. I don't have anything else. I don't, you know, I don't have any other skills, you know, other than talking and making drinks. <laughs> <laughs> no, you you're know, right, so Art. Here we are. Our industry is tough and uh, we are, we're, we'll get through it. These people that are in hospitality are, We'll, we'll make it through, right? We'll help each other yeah. make it through. That's for sure. Yeah, we we will. We'll you know like Super. you know our community has come together in a way over the past over the past year that that I've never seen before, and right. and people that had differences or you know thought each other thought of each other as comp- competition now you know see each other as as arm in arm as you know brothers and sisters and and I think that's you know it's been unifying. It's been tough. I'm not gonna get you know there's. We kept get, we're dealt blows every day, you know, as far as like how we how we're able to operate our businesses, and that's that's really difficult. But you know, it's it's the hand we've been dealt, and if you know, we can either we can either scream at a wall about it, or we can do something about it, right? Right, yeah. absolutely. So again, before I let you go, any um, any call outs you want to remind anybody at Bar Smarts? I know we mentioned it a couple times. If you want to give that a, a little right. plug here, and or, you know, uh, I mean, Bar Smarts is a great educational program. Um, it's out there. It's on. It's online. Uh, it's free uh, now. If you go to barsmarts.com and you put on try Bar Smarts uh, as your code, you can. They're allowing people and bartenders in the community to do that to do that stuff for free. There's so many resources out there for 
for education. That that's one you can you know that we did a, a number of years ago. The videos are online and it, it's some coursework, but you can you can work it all all through now with you know without any cost to you and and you know you can help your bartenders get a little spirit knowledge. But the real the the real the real way to teach people is to be with them you know to be one on one with people every day and and you know spend some time with your you know treat your treat your staff like the like they're your guests you know show them the same hospitality that you know and your peers you know the same hospitality that you would the guest in front of you and and things will work out right well Sean once again thank you so much for for the time today talking with us it was a lot of fun yeah and I know our, our listeners appreciate hearing all of your insights advice your uh, red, wrong, and strong, and you know, your <laughs> my uh, ramblings. No, no, no. Yeah. Very good stuff. And the process, uh, your your hiring process. I I think there's so much good stuff in there for everybody who's who's listening, and um, just a lot of good stuff. And thank you again, and, and we wish you the best of luck with everything in your future. And thanks again for taking the time with us today. We're hey, definitely going to stop in your place when we get out that way someday. Oh, I'll, I'll I be will. Here, man. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. All Take right. care. Take care, guys. All right. Well, Justin, that was uh, that was a good episode. I tell you, I, I really enjoyed talking with Sean or hearing, you know, what he talked about as far as how he's his business and his philosophy and and just all the things he does, just the process of bringing someone along that uh, you know comes to work for him. It's not just a hire. I need a bartender today. You put an ad out there, and someone walks in there a bartender. He teaches them. He talks about the family and you know being a family with them treating them right, bringing them along. And by the time you're a bartender, you know, you know the business and it's, it's personality and hospitality. That's, mm-hmm. that's was really, uh, you could tell he, that was big to him. His processes really mirror a good recipe, you know, and, and with repeatable results. And it shows just that, that uh, the amount of effort that goes into that process is consistently turning out the same results and that's why he continues to do it. So, and I would say that all the drinks there are going to be amazing just because of our conversation with him and knowing what he puts into his people, his business, and his customers. I mean, it just, it's a given that, that everything else is going to be on that level of expertise and care. Right. And I like how he also touched on, you know, he, I'm sure if we read his menu, we'd understand the drink, right? Where, he, he touched on that again, where just keeping it simple, don't overcomplicate yeah. it, where, where right. people would get into too much about all the little nuances of things and using, my dad would always say, a 50-cent word that uh, no one understood or knew the meaning <laughs> of. But he, just keep it simple. Tell people what it is, and, and it, you know, just it works. It works. Yeah. Yeah. It, you can do some amazing, incredible things without it being pretentious, because that mm-hmm. that'll turn somebody off quicker than than anything so that it's and that's comes back to that uh emotional intelligence that that you're investing in your uh employee base to be able to to pick up on how to guide a conversation with any given customer start with hello right start with hello bonjour you got it (laughs) boy we got to wrap this thing up so justin any last uh any comments from you last thoughts Yep. I would like to remind everyone to hit that subscribe button and never miss another moment with a chef or food service industry professional or bartender again. And while you're at it, we would also greatly appreciate a review. Let us know where we can improve, what you like, and possibly give us a topic to talk about in the future. 
Love it, love it. And again, another way you can all reach out if you uh, want to let us know something about the feed is see us at ballrathfoodservice.com slash the feed. And talk about keeping things simple. Just don't worry about the other guy and what they're doing. Just focus on what you do best and no one's going to beat you, right? Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you have a great week ahead. Until next time, take care.